We appreciate your listenership and loyalty to Dairy Stream. To show our appreciation, we'd like to give you 10% off your Dairy Strong Conference registration with promo code DAIRYSTREAM. One word, no space. If you're new to Dairy Strong, for nearly a decade, our Dairy Strong Conference has been the premier event for forward-thinking farmers and the professionals that support them. Dairy Strong brings together Wisconsin's signature community to captivate, celebrate, and motivate. Join us January 18th through the 19th in Madison, Wisconsin, to hear from inspiring speakers and reconnect with old friends. Visit DairyForward.com for more information. Welcome to Dairy Stream, brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, sister organizations that fight for sensible dairy policy in Wisconsin and Washington, D.C. Dairy Stream focuses on issues affecting the dairy community and our customers. Hi, I'm your host, Mike Austin. The future of dairy beverages and the role of the Center for Dairy Research. Yep, that's our subject today on Dairy Stream, and we're really glad to have John Lucy once again as he returns from what has been some interesting conversations in the past. If you don't remember, John is the director at the Center for Dairy Research, and that certainly is something as a dairy farmer you should be well aware of since you help fund the Center for Dairy Research through the Dairy Checkoff Program. And the facility itself, well, it's a world-class facility driving the development of new products to meet consumer demands both domestically and abroad and helps create some new markets for your Wisconsin milk. So that's why we're glad that John's with us. And a lot of times when we talk about the Center for Dairy Research, we talk about cheese, but we thought we'd take a look today a little bit more at uh, what is growing when we talk about uh, the future of dairy beverages. And John, let's start on that. Uh, what is the Center for Dairy Research Program currently focusing in on when it comes to that dairy beverage category? Well, good afternoon. I'm very happy to be uh, back again talking about some innovations within dairy. Within the overall beverage category, one of the exciting things that we are um, just installing at the moment, actually, it's, it's has arrived from its um, manufacturing side, is an aseptic beverage line. Those crates are, are here in Madison and we'll be installing the system over the next couple of months and getting it ready. So I think within the beverage category, one of the things that's very important for us is to be able to do shelf-stable products. So what that means is that typically when we think of our fluid milk, our gallon jug, all of those have to be quickly refrigerated and they have a very short shelf life of a couple of weeks. So in our new uh, CDR facility, we um, will have an aseptic beverage manufacturing line that's designed to try out new kind of products that could be shelf stable. Therefore, you don't have to refrigerate it and it can last for months, maybe even years. So that's one of the capabilities that we want to have and we want to have so that people in the dairy sector can innovate with these kind of unusual products. Why would we want to do that? Well, think about um, if you have to refrigerate your beverage, it always has to be inside a dairy case and it always has to be stored inside your refrigerator. A shelf-stable product could be in a vending machine. It could be in any location in a store and it will last for months so you don't have to throw it out when it gets spoiled so less food waste and it could be stored at home not in a refrigerator as well so again opening up a lot more possibilities for distribution and sale of our beverages that's kind of one of the big uh, initiatives we have ongoing that's been several years in the planning and all i can say right now is the equipment is here in madison and we'll be commissioning it in the coming months hmm. 
interesting timeline and certainly, as you said, an interesting aspect and kind of an interesting direction when you talk about uh, dairy-related beverages. Uh, this is something maybe the listener would like to know, and again, you, you can't, I know, get down to specifics, but how long on the average, you know, when you talk about dairy beverages, does it really to take to develop a dairy beverage? Yeah, I, I can give you one example. We work closely with a company called Good Sport, and they had a concept in mind to create a dairy-based beverage. But this wasn't like your gallon of milk type products. This was actually more like a, a recovery drink, more like one of those Gatorade or other types of drinks that you would drink while you're exercising to recover all this, uh, the fluids you'd lost while you were exercising. Uh, that product, we helped develop the recipe for it. And that probably took about six months of R&D work here at the center to come up with a good formulation and manufacturing. But for them to launch that new product and expand their, their lines and, and sales, that probably takes a couple of years for a brand new product to the market. So development work, I would say you're talking about could be months, but then to actually you know gain a foothold in the industry and get sales, that can take a couple of years to do, depending on how successful the company is in, in launching those businesses. But we do a lot of development of beverages, but sometimes the developments are relatively easy easier and like for example a new flavor a new formulation versus a brand new process and a brand new process or a brand new formulation can take a lot longer maybe six months or a year if it's really challenging to develop john lucy is our guest director at the center for dairy research which again is sponsored in part by the dairy farmers of wisconsin so as a dairy producer and if you're living in wisconsin listening to our podcast. It's certainly something of your interest because it's your dollars and we want to talk about your return on investment, which is really kind of exciting in this field of the dairy beverage. And getting back to that, uh, when we talk about dairy beverages and some of the reaches in that, are you seeing, John, uh, you know, kind of an abundant amount of different ideas, entrepreneurs coming your way to get things started? Or has this really been a kind of a slow pace in processing and moving forward in this category? I think there are a couple of kind of challenges in terms of pushing forward with new innovations. One of them is that um, the federal government defines milk, fluid milk, in a very tight and rigorous fan fashion. And that was done many decades ago to make sure that it had all the wholesomeness and quality and nutrition of a milk. But right now, as we try to create different products with, let's say, for example, higher protein or uh, less lactose or more calcium or different flavors, those standards have become a, an obstacle to really become more innovative. And so that's one challenge that is ongoing, which slows down the amount of time it takes to develop things and makes companies a little bit more resistant because they're stuck within these confines of these standards of these products. I would say that the other uh, issue that I see about you know innovation and, and, how, and speed of innovation and product innovation is I think there are lots of ideas, but I would say people just have to think about new products rather than just kind of, um, you know, kind of adjusting fluid milk. Go out there and be creative and not just worry about fitting in the constraints of these standards and targets. If you do that, that's a pretty tight box. There will always be something like fluid milk, but I think we can produce a whole bunch of other products. Think about standard beer and then all the craft beers, you know? Mm -hmm. I think there's all be standard beers, but my God, over the last um, you know 20 years, we've had so much uh, craft beers and IPAs and, and so on that are, you can customize for consumers with different flavors, tastes, alcohol levels, colors, packaging, etc. That's kind of what we have to think about. How can we how can we get a whole bunch of craft milks and beverages so that people um, have plenty of choice to meet all kinds of consumers? 
Now, when we talk about uh, the fluid milk market, I mean, I, I know it's been decades now that we've seen kind of a decline in consumption of fluid milk. You talked a little bit even about craft milk. Do you think in that area we can kind of, I don't know, level the playing field and, and maybe stop these declines? Or when you're looking at fluid milk, and do you see anything increasing as far as consumer demand for it in, in that area? Or do you think if we're going to stay doing well as a dairy product in the beverage field, that these other creations are really going to have to fill the gaps? A couple of my own comments on this are a couple of things. I think I, I think skim milk and non-fat milk and very low-fat milk, when we go in those routes, they don't have a lot of flavor and taste for the consumers. And I, to me, I, I think, you know, the, the message on the nutrition about dairy fat has really gone from uh, a lot of people concerned about it to maybe even neutral or positive in the last 10 years. So I, I really think that to... To get consumers back in love with dairy, we have to emphasize the creamy, rich uh, texture and taste of the products as we drink them. And that really can only come from full-fat type of products. So that's my first comment. I think pushing um, skim and low-fat to kids and other people, they just don't see it. It doesn't have the flavor and taste. And I think we've got to focus on those uh, type of attitudes. Uh, although fluid milk consumption in gallon jugs is declining, there's a gap in those stats too that is kind of overlooked. Because I have teenage uh, kids, and mo many of our younger kids and younger generation, they're going to to Starbucks and McDonald's and right. Donuts and other places, yeah. and they're consuming beverages there that contain quite a lot of milk in lattes and shakes and other kind of products. So I, I do think they're drinking milk in a beverage, but it's maybe not the gallon jug. So I think we need to think about that's the products that they want to taste. It, it, it won't replace the fluid milk consumption in the gallon jugs, but it's not like they're not consuming milk in some shape or form. So I think we, we probably need to realize that and say, how can we target that, that group who really wants to drink it in a tea, a coffee, a shake, uh, and some other kind of beverage? And I think that's maybe where we need to refocus and say, that's, I, that's a major growth area, and it's a major way that people are getting milk in some shape or form. Interesting. Uh, John Lucy is our guest director at the Center for Dairy Research. And uh, in your previous answer kind of caught my attention when you used, you know, you're comparing kind of craft beers to the term you used as craft milk, just to kind of explain and kind of give us a, a ballpark uh, impression of what that really means. You know, what are you talking about when you're talking about a craft milk? Well, it could be that a farm uh, right now, you see farms talking about, you know, they're grass fed right. and emphasizing right. that. But we could go farther. This is, could be a farm that has unique features for the milk from their cows. And maybe they are doing things locally that has their own breed of cows or they are feeding them a different way. Or they're doing some processing or additives to that to make their own uh, unique type of milk and marketing that. So I, I think we should just kind of think about, well, fluid milk is a is a commodity product that's extraordinarily regulated by the federal government because kids and people drink it across the U.S. Let's step out of that and think about what other products could we produce and maybe market it for my farm, for my creamery, for my small location and build a brand around that. I think that's what I'm talking talking about, local brands based around the farm, the cows, the milk and making something very unique with that. 
I think if we get into that mindset, we could even breed cows for particular things. Um, we have that technology now, but we need to think about it, not just about breeding for, you know, the amount of fat and protein in the milk, but something different. Maybe to have some different components in it that we could start breeding from it. So I think I'm just talking about getting a different mindset, basically, instead of just everything is the same white milk and everything is in a gallon jug. I, I think that's not what you see in the in the beer industry, for example, and, and other industries as well. If you look at wine, you know, a lot of vineyards have their own flavor profiles, own products they market and brand that. Again, we should look outside and think a little bit more broader. That's just my, just just my thoughts. Okay, well, I want to keep on your thoughts, and that is in comparison consumer demand and maybe consumer preference. Do you think there's going to come a time when these dairy-based drinks are going to replace fluid milk, or do you think fluid milk still will be that number one choice? I think fluid milk will stay in the medium term. Um, I, I would I would, uh, I would for, forecast that in the medium term, fluid milk is still going to be a major volume, uh, you know, product. And and I think if you look at p- penetration into households, like if you go across U.S. households and ask how many how many of them have a dairy product in there and how many have milk, it's still a very high percentage for that penetration into households. So I I, I think we are there. Although a lot of people have doom and gloom about fluid milk, I think we are penetrating a lot of households, and I think it will continue to be a major product. But I think the trend of reducing per capita consumption of the gallon jug is is basically a trend that's probably going to continue for a while more. But I, as I said, if if I if I if, if I was up to me, I'd be focusing on whole milk or even higher fat milk products, tastier products. I'd be focusing on those, and I think uh, that would be more attractive to the consumers. Really going after the creamy, rich, nutrition-focused type of products um, than some of the products we've been pushing in the last 20, 30 years. John, I know you have a lot of passion in this area and certainly a lot of expertise as well. And I know this is a topic you have responded on before, but I just feel I'd be remiss if I didn't do this. So when we talk about uh, what's happening with fluid milks and then generally uh, dairy-based beverages, you know, you've got to bring up the, the fact about the plant-based products Uh in the whole pecking order of when we talk about you know fluid decisions, where do you see plant-based products? Do you feel they're going to continue to be kind of a niche or will they be much more competitive when we talk about fluid milk and milk products? Yeah, great question. Uh, I, I think also, too, as we think about you know non-dairy and, and plant-based um, options, there has been plant-based options available for several decades. And, and primarily for a long time, it was soy milk that was available. And what's happened right now, if you look within the plant-based category, that soy has reduced considerably with the popularity of oat and um, almond, for example. So you have consolidation and change within the plant-based categories as people look for something new and something different. So we do have competition there. I would look at it too, and I would step back a little bit and say, if you think about these plant-based type of alternatives out there, most of them are ultra-processed type of products that have lots of other ingredients in there that maybe we don't recognize as a consumer. Whereas if you look across at milk, it's very natural. It's basically taken from the cow and just heat it to kill pathogens, and then we package it. I mean, it's a very simple and natural product. Um, So at some point, I think we have to do a better job educating the consumers about, you know, the difference between these two products. I just don't think we have spent the time to speak in plain language to the consumers 
Now, consumers are always very confusing <laughs> type of things. That's why pe people spend a lot of money on marketing and so on. But I think at the heart of it, talking about the simplicity, the naturalness and value and nutrition of milk is really where we're going to focus basically on it. And I, I, I look at it in many of these plant-based products. You know, they're higher in sugar, higher in salt and lower in protein. The nutritional message is not there for me as, as a scientist. It's a concerning because they're not equivalent type of products. But I think we have to talk about it in a, in a positive fashion for our products. That's probably where we need to go. That's John Lucy, director at the Center for Dairy Research, and we're going to continue our conversation with him in just a moment. Coming up in the next half of our program, uh, we're going to focus on that exports because a lot of people want to know exactly what's happening in the export market in dairy, and we thought it'd be important to see about these dairy-based drinks, what role they're playing in that market. Plus, uh, when we come back as well, we're going to kind of get John's opinion on sports drinks, juice, meal replacements, coffee drinks, smoothies, all of those kind of put together, which one might have the best potential for the future. All that coming up on Dairy Stream. And we'll be right back with our Dairy Stream podcast after we hear from our sponsor. Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin exists to be a tireless advocate, marketer, and promoter for Wisconsin dairy farmers and to drive demand for Wisconsin's dairy products. The organization represents Wisconsin farm families and works to increase the sale and consumption of Wisconsin milk and dairy products, as well as build trust in dairy farmers and the industry. Organizational initiatives include generating national publicity, managing digital advertising, and driving sales, distribution, and trial through the retail and food service promotions. Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin also supports in-school education about the benefits of dairy and funding for the Center for Dairy Research at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. For more information and to sign up for our monthly newsletter, visit wisconsindairy.org. Well, Dairy Stream today is being brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. Today, we're spending time with John Lucy, Director at the Center for Dairy Research. And again, I think many of you are very familiar with that. You should, because as a dairy farmer, you're helping to fund the Center for Dairy Research through the Dairy Checkoff Program. And obviously, the Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin doing a great job in supporting that facility and helping us enhance our market to development. And obviously, that means new markets mean more Wisconsin milk being sold, and that means more dollars for our dairy producers. And again, John, one of the key people on the research front, and today we've been spending time talking about the future of dairy beverages. And before we get into the second part of our conversation, we're really going to look at exports from that perspective. I wanted to ask you, John, kind of in comparison, you know, you look about sports drinks, you got juices, you got these meal replacements, you know, coffee drinks, smoothies. From your perspective, what area really has the most potential? Well, I think several of these have, have huge growth potential. I think, for example, on sports drinks, you can even break that down a little bit to the stuff that we've been doing uh, with products like Good Sport is really to go in recovery drinks. So the sports drink category is quite a broad category as well. Uh, and it's not just for athletes. It's for people who might do some gentle exercise as well uh, or for high school students and so on. So I think the category is, is large and growing. And unfortunately, the dairy doesn't play a lot of space in 
in that too is one of the things that I look like. How much are we doing in that space already? And have we a lot of potential to grow and, and replace other kind of products with a natural type of recovery kind of product, for example? I think on, on some of these, like meal replacements, et cetera, those products typically tend to be shelf-stable products. And that back to my original comment that we're putting in an aseptic or shelf-stable um, pilot line to help with product development in it. And I would say that some of that facility directly has been funded and supported. The equipment has been funded and supported by dairy farmers of Wisconsin as well as we look to what can we do to, to come up with new and innovative type products. I would say smoothies, coffee drinks, all of these I mentioned already about how our, how our younger generation, our kids and millennials drink milk. It's in coffee drinks and shakes and so on. So I think there is a lot of potential because they are the consumers of tomorrow too. So we want to get them uh, interested in dairy, aware of dairy, in a beverage, in a coffee, in a drink, in a shake, in a smoothie. All of them have potential. There are some others that are not on this list that I think you know have potential like um, yogurt type drinks. Uh, here in the U.S. we don't drink a lot of drinkable type yogurt type of products. We take smoothies and so on, but around the world a lot of people are drinking yogurt in a liquid form and I think that has the potential to be another kind of category for dairy to sit well in and for a large growth category. But all of these categories have great potential, I think. I think we just have to look at how do we customize our dairy products to fit in all of those spaces. And to be honest, we're looking at all of these spaces and we're trying to help companies in all of these spaces as they come up with products. I think all of them have got great potential. And he's talking, obviously, about the Center for Dairy Research. Uh, we're listening to John Lucy, director of the Center for Dairy Research. And uh, we want to move now to uh, said a field that a lot of people uh, look at for more potential sales, and that would be on the export front. And we've already covered that on the cheese front in the past. But what about when we talk about dairy-based drinks? Uh, first of all, you know, what has been the demand in that area? You did say you, you talked about, uh, you know, yogurt type of drinks are very popular outside our borders. Are there other areas that are developing, you know, really driving us to develop a product for other countries? Yeah, and I think I was mentioning about the drinkable yogurts. And in some of those overseas markets, there are shelf-stable drinkable yogurts because if you go to many parts of the world, they don't have the cold distribution chain, you know, the the the, the, the ability to refrigerate rapidly these products. And even in the households, they don't have refrigerators in all of these households either. So if you're talking about parts of Latin America, parts of Africa, parts of Asia, they don't have that infrastructure that we, we take for granted here. Here in the US. So to overcome it, we would have to make products that are shelf stable. They don't need refrigeration and they can last for months and months. That allows us the chance to export those products by ship or, you know, more expensively by air, air transport as well. But it gets us into the market and has um, ability to stay in there for several months. So I think for some of those, when we're thinking about beverages, we have to think about how can we get them with shelf stable type of products because you could potentially ship fluid milk overseas, but because the short shelf life in it, you would have to ship it very quickly. So that means it's expensive. So like air transport or something like that, which means, and most of milk, nearly 90% of milk is water. So you're shipping a lot of water too. So I think that focus really has to be on value added type products for those markets and maybe shelf stable type products. And overseas, in addition to shelf stable categories, very interested in functional type of benefits from their beverages. 
what that means is some benefit on gut health or immunity after COVID for the last couple of years. People are very interested in products that boost their health and wellness and ability to fight off, you know, diseases and things like that. So our calming, our energy. So there's a bunch of categories out there that are very important for global consumers. And I think dairy can fit in all of those spaces. We have we have a great product that can fit in all of those spaces. For example, we, we you probably heard about as a consumer or as a farmer, you've heard about probiotics. These are these mm-hmm. bacteria that help your gut fight off infections and disease. Dairy is a perfect mechanism to deliver that, our product to deliver that to consumers. And consumers already recognize as probiotics as coming from products like yogurts and so on and associated with dairy. So I think there's a lot of opportunities to position dairy in this like what we call functional beverages, but beverages that people are buying to improve their health and wellness basically as well. And that's a global interest from consumers right across the world and it's growing market. And just to follow up on that, John, you've already mentioned that you are working on, uh, you know, shelf-stable type of products. What about the value added? Has there been research done there at the Center for Dairy Research on those type of products as well? Yes. And I would look at value added, could be shelf stable, but they could also be products where we adjust the protein or the calcium or take out some or all the lactose and make and and formulate it with new ingredients. All of these are value added versus the traditional uh, beverage product, you know? So I think think we have to be looking at all of those. I mean, we we as consumers, if we go into the store and we look around the alternative uh, beverages, we see all kinds of nice, cool packaging, nice, cool products with all kinds of things. Things there. We need to do a better job in dairy of having a range of products that are value added with all kinds of differentiation that we can say we can compete for this as well too. We are working on that and we're working with individual um, milk and dairy companies on it and developing new formulations and new beverages for them. And I think we'll continue to do that. We have to be more in the innovation space. We can't just sit back and let them do all the innovation. That's, that's both in packaging and product. And John, you mentioned a little bit uh, about this before in your answer, but uh, cultural differences, obviously, you have to keep that in mind. Uh, You know, how big a role does that play when you're trying to develop uh, dairy beverage for other countries? Yeah, we, we just can't sell them what we make. We have to understand what they want to eat and then and drink, and we have to make what they want to eat and drink. So that's the that, that's a mindset we have to start when we can't just say we will make we will make this because we want to, <laughs> and we know how to make it mm-hmm. and ship that. That's not a that's not a recipe for success in any product. So that does mean we have to spend some time in these markets. We have to do some market research, and we've been funding some consumer insights ourselves through the Dairy Business Innovation Program in partnership with Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin and the U.S. Dairy Export Council. We have been trying to do a lot more consumer insights in key export markets to really come back and learn what are they doing, what what do they taste that they like, what are the innovations that they're doing, and bringing that back and sharing it with our manufacturers and saying, here's what we're learning, and then working with them on products. If we don't do that kind of work and homework and pre-advanced work, we will not be successful in these markets, whether it's cheese or beverages. It doesn't matter. We will not be successful without that kind of insights. That's a very good point. And just to follow up on that, and I'm sure it'd be of interest to the dairy farmers in particular listening to today's dairy stream, is when you talk about those specific markets, where do you see, when we look across the globe, the best you know area for increasing you know dairy, in particular dairy beverage demand, but just dairy products in general? Where are some of those target countries or target areas? 
Well, I think there's a there's probably a couple of key markets that we have to talk about when we talk about exports, whether it's for cheese or beverages. You know, we, Mexico is still our number one. Uh, we also have Latin American countries are targets as well, although there's a lot of instability in some of these countries and markets. Uh, South Korea, China, and Southeast Asia is another key one. And then we talk about some of the Middle East countries and their block there. We talk about that as another one. And then a, a more longer-term emerging one is in Africa, huge population growth there uh, and a lot of needs in those markets as well for good nutrition. And I look at it as we have a great nutritious product and we can sell it as powder, milk, cheese, whatever, but we have a great nutritious product. The world is needing that. The last comment I would say just when we think about opportunities is that from a global marketing point of view, our global dairy business point of view, what I'm hearing right now, and I've been to a number of conferences over, uh, talking about this over the last year, is that um, dairy milk growth or milk production growth is slowing or is going back in Australia and New Zealand because mm -hmm. of environmental droughts, et cetera, less available land, environmental issues. So the future, if we look for the next 10 years or so, they will not not be producing as much milk as they are today. It'll probably re uh, go back. That's what we're hearing from the, um, the economics um, talks that I've, that I've been at. Also, if you look at Europe, in most of Western Europe, you're going to see, I, I grew up in Ireland and that has been increasing in the last couple of years. But I think what you'll see in Europe too is a, a steady, uh, maybe small and steady decline over the next 10 years in terms of milk production. Um, based on a lot of factors, including economic kind of factors and political factors about greenhouse gas emissions and caps on those for farmers and for milk production. So when I look at that and think about who are the three big regions that produce milk globally for export, it's Australia, New Zealand, it's European Union, and it's US. So I look at it with those other or two other competitors for the global market are either going to decline or be flat based on, on, on current models. We have a huge potential to fill the gap for feeding the world in the next 10 plus years. So I, I think we do have that opportunity based on, 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 let's call it competitor analysis right now. The question is, are we going to step up? Are we going to be, uh, and are we going to go after the high value parts of the market or just the commodity parts of the market? That's another big question as well, because I'd like us to go after the more, the value added part rather than just supplying low grade commodity type products. Well, to follow up on that, John, as we close this edition of Dairy Stream, you already kind of gave us the supply outlook for the next five to 10 years and where you see the U.S. could be positioned and where we could really target our production area with that value added. Uh, but what about when you talk about the demand side? I mean, in the next decade or I should say, yeah, next five to 10 years, where would you think the demand for dairy-based beverages are going to be? I, th I think there's, you know, here U.S. milk consumption, dairy consumption as a whole is still increasing when we aggregate everything together. And I think it's still increasing. It's probably, as we know, fluid milk is going down. But I still think the other beverage category, whether it's with coffees and orange shakes or smoothies or long shelf life yogurts, all of those have, and kefirs and so on, all of those have positive growth outlooks here in the U.S. Internationally for beverages, I think we should be really focused primarily on the shelf stable type products and more functional beverage products that help with gut health and immunity and energy and things like that. All all of those are very positive uh, outlooks in the next 10 years from the consumers. And I think we can do that. It's a little bit different than what we do. I don't think we should be talking about exporting gallon jugs of milk to the world. That's just wouldn't 
make economic sense and it wouldn't meet the consumer needs in those countries either too, just in case of, of refrigeration as well. So I, I think we should focus on the value added uh, type products and some of these ones we've been talking about. And we can develop the products for them, but we have to understand the consumers as we were talking about too. Excellent insights. It's John Lucy giving us uh, some Final comments about the dairy beverage market, and I didn't mean to shorten your conversation, your closing statement. So any last words you want to add here? Well, I think we are, you know, on the export side of things, we currently export about 17% of our milk production if you adjust it for various types of solids and and products. Which is pretty Uh, good growth compared to the single digits we used to have not that long ago. Yes. So I think we are on a, and I think with the, with the competitor situation that we were just talking about, we have the potential to export a lot more. We have a lot of more potential land here in the U.S. We have a lot more potential opportunities and upsides to do that. And, and I would hope that as we look at that as an opportunity, that we're supplying products to the world that will add more value back to our farmers and to our community. And if we go after the right kind of products, I think that can be a big bonus for our farmers, not just more milk, but actually value-added type products as well. So that's that's kind of my key theme, I guess. Well, we appreciate that. And again, after listening to John, certainly sounds like the future of the dairy beverage industry for U.S. producers and Wisconsin milk producers in particular, uh, looking bright in that avenue. Maybe an avenue earlier you never even thought, thinking the majority of your milk, at least in Wisconsin, going into cheese. That was your only opportunity for growth. But uh, the future of the dairy beverage industry may help influence your future as well in being successful in this business we call dairy. Again, thanks to John Lucy, Director at the Center for Dairy Research. We want to thank our friends at Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin who support uh, dairy research over at the Center for Dairy Research and help to keep it going. And we want to thank you for listening. Again, it's always a pleasure to share some insights into a very important topic, uh, which is dairy. And again, in closing, I want to thank Joanna Guza, who always does a great job as a producer and editor. And uh, soon she's going to be taking yet another role on Dairy Stream and that news coming down the road. Again, till we talk again, I'm Mike Austin for Dairy Stream. The Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative would like to thank you for listening to Dairy Stream. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please subscribe and rate Dairy Stream. We value your feedback. And if there's something you'd like to hear, just email us, podcast at dairyforward.com.